the censorship culture, the cancel culture. It includes banning on social media. It includes the boycott, and in some cases, subsequent closure of businesses, and even the cancellation of insurance, all because of support for Donald Trump or standing for conservative values or words being taken grossly out of context. It's a fascist tactic driven by the left to negate one's free speech, and it's completely un-American. And now the latest attack phrase. It's being used on Christian patriots who supported Donald Trump. It's called Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism. The attack is actually being conducted by members of the religious community. And they make it clear they do not like these Christian nationalists. In fact, they feel these type of Christians are a danger to democracy. Wow. Well, clearly these men and women of the cloth are completely ignorant of American history, as you'll discover in this edition of Hidden Headlines. Thanks for joining me, everyone. Hidden Headlines, Faith, Family, Freedom. I'm Brian Sussman. More on me at briansussman.com. Do you want America to be great? I do, just as I hope the citizens of free nations around the world hope their country will be great. Heck, I want the people living under oppression in China and Iran and Nigeria and a host of other countries plagued by various totalitarian regimes to see their country be great. Great with freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom to assemble. I mention those freedoms because clearly... Those freedoms in particular have been terribly compromised here in America. I mean, let's be realistic. There are now things you just can't say, like like this one. All lives matter. You can't say that. All lives matter, even though they do. In 2015, I remember the first presidential primary amongst Democrats, first Democrat presidential primary. The five candidates took the stage in Las Vegas, I believe. And they fielded a question from a viewer. The question was, do black lives matter or do all lives matter? All except Jim Webb. You've probably never heard of him, right? Jim Webb was a former senator from Virginia. He was running for president. He took an opposing side. He argued that all lives matter. And that was the end of his campaign. And of course, you can't say anything about voter fraud. No, 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 nothing about voter fraud. Because if you do, well, you could be banished from your job. And by the way, at the top of this podcast, I mentioned even your insurance policy could be canceled. That's what happened to Kurt Schilling, the former baseball player who went a bridge too far. He literally had his insurance policy canceled. But again, the new phrase is Christian nationalism. And I want to take a moment just to dive into this. And then I want to talk about the historical underpinnings of the Bible, of Christianity in these United States of America. Again, Christian nationalism, this phony moniker picked up steam following the grossly misreported mess that occurred at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. The grossly misreported mess 
I've talked about this in past podcasts. A coalition of left-leaning church leaders have launched a project. They call it Christians Against Christian Nationalism. Ooh, they even have a website. You can read it for yourself, the mission statement. In their mission statement, they cite Christian nationalism as a persistent threat to both our religious communities and our democracy. Those are their exact words. So in other words, if you're a Christian who voted for Donald Trump and you believe in something like make America great again, you are a threat not only to the religious community, but you are a threat to the democracy. You see, this is simply another swipe from the cancel culture. It's a bid to drive conservative Christians out of the public square. Now, according to their statement, quote, Christian nationalism seeks to merge Christian and American identities, distorting both the Christian faith and America's constitutional democracy. Christian nationalism demands Christianity be privileged by the state and implies that to be a good American, one must be a Christian. I want to repeat the last part of that for you. Christian nationalism demands Christianity be privileged by the state and implies that to be a good American, one must be a Christian. Now, clearly, these sly activists, which includes well-known socialist Jim Wallace, a Democratic operative, you can read about him for yourself, they're seeking to redefine nationalism in a way that implies something sinister about conservative Christians who love their country and want to, oh, can I say it? Make America great again. Seriously, no political conservative, no politically conservative follower of Jesus I know is arguing that to be a solid American patriot, one must be a Christian. I don't know that person. I do not know that guy or that gal. Seriously, here's the deal. A Christian or anyone, anyone who loves this nation, respects the Bill of Rights, is for tighter border security, wants our economy to soar, is not ashamed of public displays of biblical morality, wants and demands integrity from our elected representatives and desires America to be the very best she can be. That person has nothing to apologize for. Nothing. That's what make America great again means. We want all of those things for all the people in the United States. (laughs) It's interesting. There's a guy I really like, and I've talked about him in past podcasts. Uh, Brilliant man when it comes to media. Marshall McLuhan. He's now long gone. But Marshall McLuhan said he envisioned a day when people would be looking forward through a rearview lens. That's what's happening. When we talk about make America great again, people on the left look at the rearview mirror and say, oh, they want slavery. They want racism. No, no, we want America to be great again. All the things I just mentioned. Let me see. I'll go through the list here. We want respect for the Bill of Rights. We want tighter border security. It's good for all of us. I don't want terrorists running around in this country. I don't want drug traffickers. I don't want child traffickers. 
I want our economy to soar because a soaring economy at the end of the day is good for everybody. Can I add a couple others? I want lower taxes because lower taxes is good for everybody. I'm not ashamed of public displays of biblical morality. I demand integrity from our elected representatives. I desire, and I know you do too, for America to be the very best she can be. We have nothing to apologize for. Now, this foundation of biblical Christianity was intended by our founders. Absolutely. In fact, let me go back. Supreme Court Justice David Brewer. David Brewer died in 1910. He explained all of this quite well. He said, in what sense can America be called a Christian nation? You're kidding me. A Supreme Court justice would say that? In what sense can America be called a Christian nation, he asks. Not in the sense that Christianity is the established religion or that the people are in any manner compelled to support it. On the contrary, the Constitution specifically provides that, quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. He goes on to say, nearly is it Christian in the sense that all its citizens are either in fact or named Christians. On the contrary, all religions have free scope within our borders. Numbers of our people profess other religions and many reject all. Nor is it Christian in the sense that a profession of Christianity is a condition of holding office or otherwise engaging in public service or essential to recognition either politically or socially. In fact, the government as a legal organization is independent of all religions. Nevertheless, we constantly speak of this as a Christian nation. In fact, as the leading Christian nation in the world. So what's going on here? Well, what's going on is America has been referred to a Christian nation because the Bible has so largely shaped and molded it. It's the truth. The problem is the left can't handle the truth. Here are some great quotes for you. Let's go to John Adams, second president of the United States. He said this, The general principle on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. Adams also declared this, quote, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. You see, A great and prosperous America has overflowed with blessings to the rest of the world. And those blessings have included necessities for living, rebuilding nations after wars, and most importantly, sharing the all-important news of the saving power of Jesus. This is what we do, and we do it well for the other countries of the world. And that's why during this last election, There were numerous, oh my gosh, numerous, countless, countless videos of people in other lands waving their Trump flags and their Trump posters, hoping and praying that Donald Trump would win the election because they believed, and they believe to this day, 
that as America, America goes, so goes the rest of the world. And they're very troubled by what they're seeing right now in the White House. But again, a rising tide lifts all boats. It's atrocious, atrocious that the backers of against Christian nationalism are guilty of spreading this lie that Christian nationalists are racists. Well, go to the website, read it for yourself, who accept white supremacy and racial subjugation. White supremacy and racial subjugation. It's on the website. As politically conservative Christians, we affirm God's providential working in history. You can't run from it. It's there. You see, the material blessings of the United States are not unconnected from the Christian morality that has undergirded our country forever. Christians should continue to exert their influence at all levels of government while embracing a free marketplace of ideas that allows for open debate and therefore religious freedom. Being a conservative Christian patriot is, is nothing to be ashamed of. So I'm going to continue to press on to make America great again. By the way, much of what you just heard can be found on my website, briansussman.com. It's a blog post entitled Commentary, Latest Swipe from the Cancel Culture, Christian Nationalism. But allow me to continue here because when I hear this kind of slap in the face, I'm thinking of people who are not aware or just want to bury history. I'm thinking of the Mayflower. My gosh. Folks, we can't even imagine what kind of Christian patriots these folks were. How would you like to have traveled on a small ship, I mean a small ship, with more than 100 other people and all of their belongings and probably some farm animals too, for 66 days? That was the Mayflower. Those were the pilgrims. It was 1620. The ocean was full of dangers. Ships could be attacked. No one really thinks about that. Take it over by pirates. Oh, that's a lot of fun. And on top of that, ships could easily be damaged or shipwrecked, sunk by storms. 66 days. Passengers oftentimes fell overboard, drowned, got sick, died. Although the Mayflower did not sink, a few of those things actually did happen. The Mayflower wasn't overtaken by pirates. But the ship sailed on a northern path across the Atlantic to avoid pirates. And she was damaged in the, in the process by a really bad storm halfway to America. The storm cracked one of the massive wooden beams supporting the frame of the ship. Fortunately, the passengers had brought along something called a great iron screw, which helped raise the beam back into place so the ship could continue. In another storm, a young passenger named John Howland was actually swept off of the deck of the ship and into the ocean. He was saved because he grabbed onto one of the ship's ropes or lines and was pulled back on deck. These, this was all divine intervention. These were people of prayer, obviously people of great faith. 
Many people were seasick on the voyage, of course, across that Atlantic Ocean. But interestingly, only one person died on the way to America. So again, after more than two months, 66 days at sea, the pilgrims finally arrived at Cape Cod on November 11, 1620. November 11th. This was during a time, by the way, that the world was in something called the Little Ice Age. Oh man, was it cold. A few weeks later, they sailed up the coast to Plymouth and they started to build a little town where a group of Native Americans had lived before. Interestingly, the Native Americans had fled the land because there was some sort of plague on the land and they thought it was cursed. So they didn't want to live on that particular land. Otherwise, the pilgrims might have had a fight on their hands. The pilgrims lived on the ship for a few more months, rowing ashore to build houses during the day and then returning to the ship at night. But because of the cold and because of the wet, people were getting sick. It was the middle of winter. It was the little ice age. And about half the people on the Mayflower died during that first winter. So they made it across the Atlantic but died during the winter, 50% of their number. Also in 1620, the Pilgrims put together a legal agreement. We call it the Mayflower Compact. This was in 1620. The Mayflower Compact is believed to have influenced the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution. Here's just a portion of it. Oh, those people who are against Christian nationalism would really have a fit over this one. It says having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. A voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. Do by these present solemnly and mutual in the presence of God and one another, covenant and combine ourselves together in a civil body politic. Uh, they settled in the northern parts of Virginia to glorify God and advance the Christian faith? That's what they said. Now, I don't have a problem with that. But obviously, those who are against Christian nationalism would have a real problem with that. Let me share with you some quotes from some of the founders of the United States of America. Let's begin with John Hancock. I've always wondered what he must have been like. I have a feeling that he had a lot in, co in common with Donald Trump. I, I know from reading about him, he had a very big ego. He liked everything big and everything beautiful. In fact, when you look at the Declaration of Independence, what do you see? Right in the middle, it's John Hancock's name, bigger than everybody else's. <laughs> but he was a signer of the Declaration. He was the president of Congress. He was a revolutionary general, and he was the governor of Massachusetts, and this guy was a patriot. And by the way, he put his money where his mouth was, and he had a lot of money. But he said this, at one point in time, he called on the entire state of Massachusetts to, quote, pray that universal happiness may be established in the world 
and that all may bow to the scepter of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the whole earth be filled with his glory. He said that as he called to the state of Massachusetts to pray and to confess their sins and to implore forgiveness of God through the merits of the Savior of the world. <laughs> I could see his Twitter account nowadays. Canceled. Okay, here's Charles Carroll. You ever heard of Charles Carroll? He was a, another signer of the Declaration. His signature is not as big as John Hancock's. But he was a delegate to the Constitutional Convention. He was one of the framers of the Bill of Rights. And he was a U.S. Senator. And by the way, Carroll was an early advocate for armed resistance with the objection of separation from Great Britain. Cancel! <laughs> an insurrectionist! He wrote a letter upon turning 89. So this is after the United States had, had been established, after the war against Great Britain had obviously been concluded. And we'd been established as a country for some time. And he said he was grateful to Almighty God for the blessings which, through Jesus Christ our Lord, had conferred on his beloved country in her emancipation and on myself, he said, and on myself in permitting me under circumstances of mercy to live to the age of 89 years. By the way, he lived to be 95. And to survive the 50th year of independence adopted by Congress on 4th of July, 1776, which I originally subscribed on the second day of August of that same year and of which I am now the last surviving signer. Wow. That's what he said is the last surviving signer. He was so, so grateful to the Lord Jesus Christ. If he wrote that on Facebook now, canceled. There's Benjamin Rush. Benjamin Rush was another signer of the Declaration. He was Surgeon General of the Continental Army. He was a ratifier of the Constitution. He was the father of American medicine. Very smart guy. Treasurer of the U.S. Mint. And by the way, father of public schools under the Constitution. Our public schools used to be referred to public schools under the Constitution. Now they're public schools under the... Oh, gosh. What? <sighs> under the wand of Satan himself. He said this, I do not believe that the Constitution was the offspring of inspiration, but I am as satisfied that it is much the work of divine providence as of any of the miracles recorded in the Old and New Testament. In other words, the Constitution just wasn't a bunch of guys getting together and they were inspired to do something really cool. He said, no, divine providence, miracles, Old Testament, New Testament, it was right up there with all of that. Canceled. We've got one more for you. This is Daniel Webster, U.S. Senator, Secretary of State, defender of the Constitution. That's what he was known as, the defender of the Constitution. He said the Christian religion, its general principles, must ever be regarded amongst us as the foundation of civil society. And he said whatever makes good men Christians makes them good citizens. Oh, Christian nationalists, cancel. In closing, I, I want to read to you something. This is from my book, Eco-Tyranny, which came out in 2012. Eco-Tyranny, How the Left's Green Agenda Will Dismantle America. 
uh, people who didn't read it but were quick to criticize it uh, had no idea what was in it. It was much about history as it was about meteorology and atmospheric science. But towards the end of the book, page 238, I talk about, well, I'm talking about patriots who gave it all for this country and how we need to be willing to give it all for this country as well. This, I'll just, I'll begin reading here. This was uh, a third patriot that I'm talking about who selflessly endured great sacrifice for the sake of freedom. Freedom. He was a humble man named John Hart. You ever heard of John Hart? A lot of people say, oh yes, you're as honest as John Hart. Well, this is the guy. He was a farmer known throughout New Jersey as Honest John Hart. He was a signer of the Declaration of Independence and a fellow signer, Benjamin Rush, described him as a plain, honest, well-meaning Jersey farmer with but little education, but with good sense and virtue enough to pursue the true interests of his country. Well, I've read some of the things that John Hart had to say about his Christian faith and his love for this Christian nation. I guess those against Christian nationalism wouldn't have liked him either. But he served with distinction as Justice of the Peace and in the pre-revolutionary legislatures of New Jersey. However, in 1765, he turned against the British authorities over the imposition of the Stamp Act. The Stamp Act, by the way, was a direct tax imposed on the colonies by the British Parliament. A lot of people in America were upset about that. This act was created to pay for British troops who were stationed in America. And it mandated that virtually every printed material imaginable be produced on stamped parchment produced in England, carrying an embossed revenue stamp. And, and like previous taxes... The stamp tax had to be paid in valid British currency, not in colonial paper money. And again, this enraged a lot of people like Honest John Hart. So in 1774, Hart was elected the first Continental Congress by the people of New Jersey, and he signed the Declaration of Independence. Immediately after signing that declaration, like so many of the signers, and I talk about them, and I talk about four of them all together in Eco-Tyranny, but immediately after signing that declaration, his life was noted with a series of tragic losses. Shortly after signing the declaration, he was elected to the New Jersey State Assembly. In fact, he was chosen as its speaker. Knowing that he was busy leading the state legislature, mercenaries loyal to the King of England raided his farm. They destroyed all of his livestock. They terrorized his wife, Deborah. I mean, terrorized her. Upon learning of the raid, because let's be realistic, news traveled slow then. Upon learning of the raid, Hart immediately returned home to find his wife in terrible condition. Hart was at his wife's side when she passed away a bit later, October 8th, 1776. But his grieving was interrupted by British troops who were searching for him. He fled into the forest with his two youngest children and ran to the home of a relative. Hart spent that winter on the run. Now think about this. He was sleeping in caves. 
He was eating very little. Here's a man who was the Speaker of the New Jersey State Assembly running like an animal through the forest, sleeping in caves, eating very little. Once it became clear that the British had vacated the area and the search for his life had ended, Hart returned home. Though he was eventually re-elected as Speaker of the Assembly, most accounts state that Honest John was heartbroken after that period of time. He soon became very ill, and he died at his home a short, short while later, on May 11, 1779. This is a man who ended up giving it all for his country. His wife was never the same. His kids were never the same. His entire livelihood as a farmer had been upended. All that he had in terms of finances were lost. And he too lost his life because of the illnesses endured during that period of time. Here are the words of Patrick Henry written on June 5th, 1788. Man, this is just so, so apropos. He said, if you make the citizens of this country agree to become the subjects of one great consolidated empire of America, your government will not have sufficient energy to keep them together. Well, what is the consolidated empire of America today? I'm thinking big tech. I'm thinking big media. I'm thinking big government. I'm thinking big politicians. He said, such a government is incompatible with the genius of republicanism. There will be no checks, no real balances in this government. If our descendants be worthy of the name of Americans, they will preserve and hand down to their latest posterity the transactions of the present times. Friends, we must restore and preserve our nation as originally founded if we are to have anything of value to leave our posterity. It will certainly take much sacrifice. It's going to take much determination. But with God's help, that's right, I said it, with God's help, it can be done. Hidden Headlines, Faith, Family, Freedom. More on me at briansussman.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. Thank you. God bless you. And God have mercy on the United States of America.